0: Bibles this morning I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Proverbs uh, you know uh, last week we we began to focus on how to build a relationship with the Lord and uh, though we have been talking about that in a lot of different general terms and concepts and I've been trying to take you through the word of God and just really show you and help you understand how it kind of all goes together and uh, we've been taking uh, you know two or three weeks at a stretch and, and talking about doctrinal principles and then we've been Taken a couple of weeks in defining how you apply those. And last week we were in Deuteronomy chapter 29. Well, we were a lot of places last week, but we finally wound up in Deuteronomy chapter 29. And we were talking about what it means to have the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. And, uh, you know, as I said last week, we've, we've so cheapened and so commercialized in Christianity the word personal. And uh, we use that now in an expression that really doesn't carry with it the weight. Of, uh, of everything that it really means in the Bible. So we talked about that last week. And I thought today what I'd want to, I want to do is kind of uh, uh, give you a, I know another per- perspective on it. In fact, I thought, we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 2. I thought what I would do is, is show you what the wisest man in all the Bible, and certainly the wisest man in all the world, show you what he said about having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I guess if there's any book in the Bible that I would like to just totally, completely understand and, and have uh, the access of total recall in my mind, it would be the book of Proverbs. I believe that the book of Proverbs, without a doubt, is probably uh, the book in the Bible that contains every issue that you're going to get into in life. I think the rest of the Bible is written around the book of Proverbs from a practical standpoint. I think every illustration, every example, every man and woman Jesus meets, everything that you're dealt with in the book of uh, Romans and uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I believe they all fundamentally go back to the principles that are found in the book of Proverbs. In fact, when we talked about building your foundation a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about building on that precepts, the book of Proverbs is the precepts. It is an incredible book. And, uh, you know, it it, it kind of breaks itself down, if you're ever going to really study the book, you'll find that uh, the first seven chapters, I think the the way that God breaks the book down is very in, 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 in instrumental in our understanding. But the first seven chapters, you're going to find that each chapter starts out by saying, My son. And we know that, historically, he's probably writing this to Rehoboam, Solomon's son, Uh inspirationally, he's writing it to you and to me as God's son, and doctrinally, he's writing to the nation of Israel as uh, uh, God's son in an Old Testament sense, as uh, the nation of Israel. So, we know that when we, when we read those first seven chapters, what he's doing is giving us a prelude For as a son of God, what the book of Proverbs will give us. And there's a number of things that as you go through the first seven chapters that he it's more like, okay, if you get this and this is how you get it, this is what it's going to do. And it tells you in the first seven chapters really the fundamentals of getting and building a relationship with God and what you need. Then in chapter 8 through chapter 30, you've got those chapters that deal with the issues of life. Almost unbelievably, every verse is just loaded and packed with principles that you're going to be faced with or deal with in life I don't know of any circumstance any situation in a practical living sense that you won't find explained or you're warned against uh, in the book of Proverbs chapter 8 through chapter 30 and then chapter 31 the end result the virtuous woman that virtuous woman is a picture of the church and that virtuous woman is the end result the byproduct of you and I doing what the book of Proverbs says. My, 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 how you can come down through that virtuous woman there and find all the things that fit into your life and my life as far as a relationship with God and ministering to other people. And uh, it's an incredible, uh, incredible thing. But I want to focus today on one one of the greatest Proverbs for me. If there's any one passage of Scripture that I really focused on early in my life, to really build that relationship with God, it was Proverbs chapter 2. I took it word by word, verse by verse, concept by concept, and, and explored it through the Word of God and then uh, put it into my own life as best I could. So I want to read that for you today in the first nine verses, and it says this. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and lifteth up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment, and preserveth the way of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness, judgment, equity, yea, every good path. Father, we thank Thee and praise Thee today for the Lord Jesus. And we love You so much for all that You've done for us. And we ask You today, Father, to open up our hearts that we might receive the things of the Word of God that You have for us. Help us, Lord, every day of our lives, every, every week of our lives, and everything that we do to seek God's face and to try to build that strong one-on-one relationship with God, Lord, that carries us through uh, all the things in life. Help us, Father, to understand that there isn't a problem we have in life. There isn't anything that we have in life that, that uh, isn't, it, the problems are not solved by uh, the Word of God. And I thank you, Father, for our time today. I pray that you'll bless us, give us all the things that we need, and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for the sake we ask it. Amen. Now, as I preach to you the Word of God every Sunday... I'm running a stiff opposition. And that opposition is simply this. The world is bombarding you with all kinds of things that are simply not true. And, uh, most of God's people that don't get into the Bible never really grasp the reality, so they get caught up in all this. Uh, you're taught today, uh, that, that, uh, that you're, much, you're not responsible for anything. You're taught today that, uh, as a, as a human being, that you're a victim of life. Uh, there was a time, you know, when man took responsibility for his own sin and his own problems. That doesn't happen anymore. There was a time where the preacher, the doctor, the whoever, would say to the guy, you know what, you need to be accountable and take responsibility for what's going on in your life. Today, the preacher, the doctor, everybody else, they're on their side and saying, you can't help being what you need to be. I driving down the street by my house the other day. I, I couldn't believe this. In fact, I almost wrecked the car. I had to come back and see it again. There was a church down the street from us, and I was going up to the store to get something. And there's a there's a, a, a Methodist church or a Lutheran church. I don't care. I'm not sure what it was. It was one of them kind of churches. And there, and it had a, a, a on a lot. It had naturally had trees, you know, planted every twenty feet or something like it. Big trees. And they had a big banner stretched over the church that said Cultural Intervention Week. And on these trees out here, it says, we want, and each tree had a name, we want old people. We want young people. We want lesbians. We want gays. We want rebels. We want, I mean, the list was unbelievable. And I drove up there, and I had come back. I said, i got to see that again. And I, and I drove back again, and, and it, sure enough, in fact, I drove through the parking lot. And in fact, I wanted to get my picture taken along just to believe you wouldn't believe me. It's unbelievable. And I thought to myself, that's exactly where... There was a time when men stood in the pulpit and preached the Word of God against men's sins. Today, we tell them that you're not responsible for your sin, and we blame it on society, we blame it on everything else in the world. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know what problems you run into in life. I've dealt with men that were drug addicts that told me, well, you know what? My pastor or my doctor and my psychologist told me that the ability to be a drug addict was in my genes, therefore, I'm just a drug addict because I can't help it. I've had alcoholics tell me the same thing. Well, I'm an alcoholic because it runs in my family. Well, let me tell you something. I have high cholesterol and it runs in my family. But if you're a drunk or a dope addict, it doesn't run in your family. Those aren't, those aren't sicknesses as we're led to believe today. Now why I said all that to say this. Whatever you're told in this world, whatever you're told in this world that goes against the Word of God that you're not responsible for whatever you are in your life, let me tell you something. You are responsible. You know what you have within you? Right? And I kind, of, I kind of believe in that. I kind of believe that each of us has within us the ability to be an alcoholic. Or a drug addict. I believe that. I don't believe it's passed on through your family. Well, yeah, I do. But I believe it's not passed out through your family genes. I think it's passed out through your old sin nature that comes from Adam. I've got some more news for you. Everybody in this room, if you, everybody in this room has the ability not only to be a drug addict, not only to be a drunk, you have the ability to be a murderer. You have the ability to be a rapist. You have the ability to be a Saddam Hussein or an Adolf Hitler, or a Mussolini. You have the ability to be the most wicked thing in this life. You have that within you. It's not born through your family in the sense that it was in my mother's genes, so, or my father's genes, so I've got it. You have it because inside of all of us is an old sin nature that has passed on down through Having children, it goes right down. We bear it, children in our image after our likeness, which is a sinful image and a sinful likeness. And therefore, in that sense, you have, you have that inside you. And if you didn't have an alternative, then you wouldn't be responsible. If God just let Adam in the garden sin and then walked out the door and said, well, that's the end of that plan then you and I could get to the great white throne judgment of the judgment seat of Christ and we could honestly say, God, I'm not responsible because you let sin come into the world and because you let sin come in, I am now faced with these things and you have wrote in your Bible that man altogether is against God, that there's none that doeth good, there's none that seeketh after God, so Lord, therefore, here I am, what I am, I had no control over and God would have to say, yep, you're right. But you know what made the difference? Christ made a difference. That book makes the difference. And once Christ, the man who did allow God, the, the being that allowed sin to come into the world, once He, who yes He did, He allowed it to come in, but the same God that allowed it to come in is the same God that came down and paid the price to take it out. Now you have a choice. Now you don't have to be anything except what God wants you to be. Now there is nothing in this world that should keep you from God unless you choose it. Now, there's nothing in this world that will allow you to be anything but what you want to be other than yourself. Now, you cannot blame whatever you are on anybody else. It comes right back to you. That's why the book of Proverbs, and in particular, Proverbs chapter 2, is so vital. That's why understanding how to build a relationship with God is so vital. Because we like to blame our problems on somebody else. We love to do that. I recommend for most of God's people when I first meet them, and most unsaved people, a vacation. On the Isle of reality. Spend a week there. Look at your life. See what's going on. And then realize that you are responsible for your life and for your sin. You and I are responsible for what we are. That's why... Building a relationship with God is so crucial, and that's why the wisest man that ever lived said this. Verse one. Well, let me before I get that. You know, you know what, you know when he said all we just read. You know what he, you know what he did. I don't know if you caught it or not. I just thought about it, so I had to stop myself and back up. But you know what he did in, in what we just read. The wisest man that ever lived define what your problem my problem really is in life he did now maybe you missed it but if you read down through there he tells us the two things that we get when we do this or the two things that man needs more than anything else because of the two things that man doesn't have you know what they are I'll show you look down here verse 5 he said when you do this verse 1 you do this verse 2 you do this verse 3 you do this verse 4 This is what you get in verse 5. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and shall find the knowledge of God. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord. You know what that is? That's who God is. You know what's going on with America today? They don't know who God is anymore. Then the next thing. And find the knowledge of God. Notice now, it didn't say find the knowledge about God, find out all about God. It said, getting the knowledge that God has. Two problems man has. One, who God is. Two, what did he say? Those are the two fundamental problems that we have. Look at America. When we started out, we knew who God was and we knew what he said. Look at us today. We don't know who he is and we don't know what he said. Look at churches. There was a time when you went to the Methodist church, that guy tore the hide off your, you, you with preaching of the Word of God. There was a time you went to the Presbyterian church, you got blasted there. You didn't like him, you went over to the Episcopalian church and the guy tore your hide off there. Wherever you went, you didn't have a lot of options. Not today. Why? Because we've lost the concept of who God is and we've lost the concept of what God said. And because of that, you can pretty much go, if you don't like what I say, you can pretty much go wherever you want to go and find somebody that will tell you just what you want to hear. That's the society that we live in today. That's where we're at. Now, verse 1 through 9 teach us basically how to do what we talked about last week or how to get to that point in our lives. And every verse is just absolutely loaded. Now, he says in verse 1, My son... If thou wilt receive my words, now let's just stop right there because we got a mouthful right there. First of all, the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter two verse thirteen, for for this cause also thank we God without ceasing. For when you receive the word of God, you receive it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which affectionately worketh also in you that believe. Now the key word here, once we get past my son, we know who he's talking to. Is the word receive? You know, the Bible's its own dictionary. That's one of the big problems people make. Too many people redefining the words. I don't know how many times I've had somebody come to me over the years after I preached or in my Bible studies where I allow you to ask any question you want to ask. I don't know how many times somebody has come to me and said, Bob, let me ask you a question. I was reading in my Bible the other day, and my mother taught me this, and my preacher taught me this. And over there in 2 John, uh, down around verse 10, it says uh, that if somebody comes to your home with another spirit or another gospel or something like that, that you're not to receive them into your house, or you're not to bid them Godspeed. And, And I was really concerned because I made a terrible mistake. Last week, some Jehovah Witnesses came to my house, and they wanted to talk and I allowed them to come into my house, Did I commit some great, terrible sin. Now that's how people think. Now I want to talk to you about receiving. Receiving. The word to receive. you got to go to the Bible to get your own definition. Now the word receive in the Bible doesn't mean allow somebody to come in. If you're a Jehovah Witness and you come to my house and i got time, I'm going to have you come in. I'm going to chase you around the room for a while, running upstairs, running downstairs, try to corner you in the basement. I'm going to have you come in. Now, if you're a, I, I I'm not going to go where you think I'm going to go, but we're going to have some fun. I don't do video games. I don't I don't play a computer games. My watch doesn't do anything but give you the time. Some got all come. my cell phone don't take any pictures. Uh, it hardly even makes any phone calls. But bottom line is my entertainment is not that. My entertainment is to get somebody out there that believes something else and thinks that I'm stupid, and then having a fast game of tennis with him being the ball. I don't know how to play stupid better than anybody else in the whole wide world because I've been that way all my life. I can play so dumb, I'm so innocent, and boy, and that, and, and let you just walk into that trap and then hit you with a right hook that you won't even wake up till next Sunday. And of course, the Bible says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Some people you handle very carefully, you handle very genuinely. And the Bible says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Sometimes you deck him. And we talked about it. David and Goliath, the stones. And you look where he doesn't have the armor, and then you nail him. But when the Bible says that you're not to receive somebody into your house, it's not talking about that. The word received is defined for you in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, where Paul says, Receive ye one another, even as Christ hath received you. Now, that's the word received. When you come over to my house, my house is yours. So if you have time, fix the porch. We the My house is yours. <laughs> my wife likes that. My house is yours. Truthfully, really? and I know you never do this, but this is how I feel. When I know you, and you're my family, and you come to my house, you can have whatever you want. You don't have to say, Bob, I mean, honestly, you don't have to say, Bob, can I have a bottle of water? You can go to the refrigerator, open it up, and just take what you want. You don't have to, honest to goodness, if, if, you, if, if you're hungry and you've got them over there, hey, you know what, you can say, Bob... Can I make a sandwich? Sure, no problem. I don't have a problem with that. Don't eat the Twinkies. So <laughs> only have one little parameter here: Twinkies. Don't eat the Twinkies. Twinkies are mine. But you know what? My house is yours. Why? Because I receive you into my house, just like Christ received me. And when Christ received you, whatever you have, whatever He has, is yours. Bible says you're a joint heir. Bible says you're the aristocracy of heaven. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Everything that is His is yours. And that's the way I'm to receive you. So the word receive in the Bible doesn't mean you're a Jehovah's Witness, you can't come into my house so I can witness to you. The means that the Jehovah's Witness coming in, he ain't getting a sandwich. He better not open up my refrigerator. And he better not take my Twinkies. <laughs> he ain't getting nothing but the book. My house is not His. We have nothing in common. So the word receive is one of those words that the definition has been lost over the years, like so many others. And people fret and worry over it. And when you receive something for God, when I receive you into my house, my house is yours. What I have is yours. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. When I go to my sister's house, I don't ask, Sharon. Can I look in the refrigerator to see if there's anything to eat? She doesn't care. I just open it up. When I go to my mom's house, I don't say, Mom, Mother, may I? Uh, Mommy dearest? May I, may I open up? the?" What you, I just run through the thing and get what I want to eat. Now, I know you wouldn't do that. I mean, I mean, I mean to my house. You might do it at your best. But I know you won't come into my house and just say, Hey, Bob, good to see you. I, you know, I was kind of late today. Oh, hey, you going to eat this? No, I know you wouldn't do that. But I'm telling you, I don't care if you do. I wouldn't be mad. Even if I was going to eat it, I'd say, You go ahead and have it. You know why? Because I'm a lot like Abraham. When I fix you a feast, I like just to stand back and watch you enjoy and not partake myself. I give you anything I got. Why? Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're the family. It's not a matter that you're just part of my church. It's the matter that any brother or sister that has a need, that loves God, that's doing what's right, you know what? I will do anything I can do for them. That's the way it's supposed to be. But now, if you're a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon or somebody else or somebody outside where your your whole doctrine and your spirit is one that is against God, hey, you can come into my house, but you ain't coming into fellowship we ain't coming in to eat. I'm going to come in to give you the gospel and then when I'm done I'm going to pack you on your way. And you see, that's what it means. The Bible says, "My it says, uh, if thou wilt receive my words." He says, "For this cause also thank we God without ceasing." Listen to it again. For when you receive the word of God, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. If you don't believe it, it ain't going to work inside you. It's as simple as that receiving the Word of God. Receiving it into your heart just as it is the most precious thing like we talked about last week that God has given you. You know, there's a great, a great trick of the devil. And I don't know how much you follow things in, in history in life, and life and put it all together, but I want to tell you something. We're experiencing today in our world, in our, in our Christian world, we're experiencing today an incredible feat. And if you're paying attention, you saw this thing develop down through history. You know, the book of Revelation is an incredible book. And the first three chapters show us the church history. It runs from the church at Ephesus up to the church of Laodicea in chapter 4. A door opens in heaven, a voice is heard like a trumpet. Somebody goes up, you never find the word church again. Then you're into the tribulation and on through the book of Revelation. But those first three chapters are absolutely paramount if you're going to understand what's going on. And when I start to come through there, I begin to see this trick being revealed. Thursday night, we talked about uh, uh, Job chapter 40 and 41, and we talked about Leviathan, Satan, and we talked about how that God would not conceal, you know, His, his parts, His powers, coming proportion, and I showed you that's how the devil works down through history. That's exactly what we've got. People do not recognize what's going on today because through the process of time and all the other things we're involved in, we lose our perspective on what the devil's doing. And that's exactly what he wanted us to do. But you come back there in that early church and the first one you find is the church at Ephesus. The word Ephesus means fully purposed. Here was a church that was fully purposed to do the work of God. It had everything that it needed. It had everything. The apostles had just probably died off the scene. The men that were there had a fresh understanding. There was no lack of time. They had the Word of God was complete. They knew many of them had seen Christ and knew Christ. It was very clear exactly what the mission was. And this church, he comes down through there and he says, you're a good church, you have patience, you've done all these things. But he says, I have one thing against you. And what he talks about down there when he comes down, he says you have the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He says you lost your first love, the Word of God. And you have the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Revelation chapter 2, verse 6. Now the Nicolaitans are the word that means uh, uh, conquering the laity. And what happened here, we begin to see the early church get in a mindset very slowly that the common, ordinary man, you and me, could not understand the words of God. And very slowly, the devil had been in the form of hierarchy that he was going to raise up. And he raises it up slowly as, as time goes on and doctrines come in, and the word of God gets, uh, uh, you know, under control of the, uh, the people who are trying to take it over. And pretty soon, by the time you get to the Pergamus church, which is about 300 years later, the Pergamos word means much marriage. The church has been literally married to the world, and now it isn't the deeds of the Nicolaians, it's the doctrine of the Nicolaians. It went from deeds just doing it to an official teaching and stand that this is what the Bible teaches that you and me as common, ordinary people... Cannot understand the Bible. There's no way you can figure it out. It's just going to confuse you. So you come to me, and I will tell you what it means because I am a Gnostic. I am a knower. I'm someone that has a higher spiritual plane than you poor saps, and you can't figure it out. But you come to me, and I'll tell you what it means. You know what that kind of attitude did? It brought in the dark ages is what it did because the Roman Catholic Church came to power, (coughs) they made it a capital offense for any common man to have a Bible that you could find out and receive the words of God. (laughs) And they made it a capital offense, punishable by death. And they made leagues with kings and nations to wipe out, kill anybody that found with a copy of the Word of God. And oh, my friend, it threw this world into the dark ages. The most darkest period of time in history, because the Dark Ages, simply put, is nothing more than when the Roman Catholic Church took the word of God away out of the hands of common men and women, that threw this world into darkness, and there was no light from God's word, and it was a time when there was no nothing going on. It was just the uh, the feudal system with all the big people on top and all the masses on the bottom. Boy, you watch that thing go for a thousand years. And God says, you know what? My people need the Word of God. And all during that time, I don't want to suggest for a moment that God wasn't doing some things, but God was doing it the way He does it many, many times through the severe persecution of oppression of a wicked religion to put the Bible believers down but yet all they do is flourish and I mean while that is going on people didn't have a copy of the Word of God they were hiding it they were they were copying it at night by candlelight there was people that maybe that they would wait months just to read a small portion of the Word of God and we think what a terrible time I don't know I don't know if it's terrible or not maybe it takes something like that for you to fall in love with your Bible you see, we got a thousand Bibles. We got six sitting back there. We got cars of them. I got twenty-five at home. I count this week. How many do you got? We got so many Bibles, we don't know what to do with it. And what happens is, is we take it for granted. And it's it's subtle, it's sneaky, and it's a trick of the devil. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't know that it's bad for somebody to hunt you down to want to kill you for reading that Bible. Maybe that's the only thing that'll drive you back to God. Maybe it's the only thing that'll make you appreciate that precious book and receive it as it really is the Word of God. But oh, God had plans. Oh, He had plans. Oh, wrong about 1300, an old boy was born down through there, and his name was John Wycliffe. And John Wycliffe, he, he, he saw the need, he saw the corruption. And he saw what was going on, and he wrote the, he took the text out of Antioch, and he he made the first Bible in English for the common man. And miraculously, he lived his whole life. The Roman Catholic Church never got him. He died, uh, just a normal death. But the Roman Catholic Church hated him and hated his Bible so much. Seventy-some years after he's dead, Roman Catholic Church digs him up and executes him. Yeah, they dig up his bones, burn him at the stake like, wow. We showed you. He's called the morning star of the Reformation. Because in that darkness, there was a light on the horizon. Oh, we take for granted the book God's given us. Last week I talked to you about the passion of the Word of God, of how, that you know what, you need to look at it like God just wrote it to you with nobody else in mind. But I'm telling you, you have to understand, and we don't understand. That's a terrible thing about young Christians today. They get saved, and they, they get no heritage of why they've got what they've got. or so the people that win them to Christ and teach them every week don't have a clue. Oh, a little bit longer along, along the way, a guy by the name of William Tyndale. Oh, William Tyndale. He translates it into English. He didn't so lucky. They call him in for the court of England. accuse him of heresy. question him through an inquisition of why you would do this and why do you go out there and tell people, encourage people to read the Bible. John William Tyndale said, you know what? You see that plow boy out there? Give him a Bible and in three years he'll know more of the Word of God than all the scholars in England. He understood what he had. He'd received it in the darkness. He wasn't as lucky as John Wycliffe. They took him. They tortured him. They tried to make him recant, and he wouldn't. And finally, they hauled him out in the, in the court in England at Archbury there, and they, they, they burned him at the stake, and they put the uh, wood around him, and they tied him to a stake, and they put the wood around him, and they lit the flames, and as the flames began to consume him, you could hear over the flames the last prayer of William Tyndale. His last prayer was based on his understanding the Word of God and receiving it and what it was, not the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God. For he cries out one last prayer, Oh God, open the King of England's eyes. Seventy-five years later, God honored that prayer and brought to the throne after Bloody Mary, James I, and brought forth The grandest, glorious book this world has ever seen that went to all the world. God did open the King of England's eyes. And that's why I can have it today. But I want to tell you something. I said all that to say this. We're in the dark ages again today. Turn over to Amos chapter 8. Turn over to Amos chapter 8. Oh, I know we got our computers and we got our automobiles and we got space travel and, you know, we're gonna go to Mars. Yeah, and right after that we'll go to the sun. And we got all these great things, you know, that, uh, that man's gonna do. But I'm telling you, we're, I I know we live in the information age and I know that it's true that that, that a man today with a New York Times newspaper has more information than a man in the 15th century got all of his life. That's all an illusion. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. Notice, the book's here. There's just nobody listening. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from north even to the east. That's where we're at today. Men and women running around saying, like I said when we began, well, I'm this because of this, and I'm this, blaming it on everybody else, running to and fro, from sea to sea, even to the north to the east, to and fro, to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. You know why? Because finding that book one in here isn't based on your intellect it isn't based on what you know or who you know. It's based on your attitude of heart of love and God with all of your heart, with all of your mind and all of your soul. It's based on you receiving that book as the Word of God. And if you don't, you can have 20,000 Bibles around you and you'll never hear the Word of God. It's a famine. We're in a dark ages today with all that we've got. It's all artificial light put up by man The god the true light. The Word of God is not here today just like it was not here in the Dark Ages. And we have a few groups of people in this world today that love that book and know what that book is, and they match right up with the Waldensians and the Albigensians. In fact, that's your lineage if you're a Baptist. Tyndale was connected with the Lollards, they're connected with the, with the, uh, uh, with the Hussites, who are connected with the Policians. who are connected with all those biblical groups. Now we're seeing today a time that we live in where the Word of God is just taken for granted. It doesn't mean anything special. Oh, we've got it. And we even got the right one. But it's all in how you received it. Either as a Word of man, or as it is in truth, a Word of God. And when you take it as the Word of God, my friend, it does something for you that no other book in this world can do. Oh, I love Psalms. I think Psalms is, is, is probably one of the greatest books in the Bible. And for me, uh, come over to Psalms 119. I believe that Psalms 119 will show you what the Word of God will do for you when you receive it. I don't have time to go through it all today, but I want to show you, I want to show you one concept here. One concept. Psalms 119, verse 97. He says this. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than my enemies for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgment for thou hast taught me How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Oh, that ought to be your attitude of heart toward the receiving the Word of God. And that one section of verses right there says everything that needs to be said. Oh, how I love thy law. I mean, I don't know. Did you see? That's always a favorite of mine because in the first couple of verses there, it really shows you what happens when you receive it and you believe it. First thing he says down there, verse 98 Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. You're going to have a lot of enemies in life as a child of God. Some will be your family, some will be work. Some of the people that you associate with. Some of the people, but I promise you, if you're going to take a stand for the Word of God and you're going to be what God wants you to be, if you're going to be the light in this dark age, if you're going to be a light in this wilderness, I'm telling you, He's telling you already that you're going to have enemies. For He says down there this little postscript, for they are ever with you. There's never going to be a time in this life that you're going to be enemy free unless you compromise. Now He says... Wow. What a loaded verse. He's going to make the word of God when you receive it and you love it and it becomes your meditation makes you wiser than your enemies. You know why? You get a different perspective. You get a different understanding. I'll tell you something else. You choose when to get angry. When you lose your ang- when you lose control and you get angry, you're out of control. And I'm telling you, if you don't, I've learned one thing about the Bible, two things, about a lot of things about the Bible, but this one thing particularly. God loves with a perfect love. And God hates with a perfect hatred. You know what the word perfect is in both cases? Unconditional. You know how you can hate as God hates perfectly and love as God loves perfectly? Don't get emotionally involved. Don't take it personal. That's what the Word of God will do for you. How does it do that? Because it helps you see what the real issue is. We're all, hey, we're all frail human beings, and we all want people to like us. And our feelings get hurt. I don't care how tough you pretend you are. You don't like it when somebody doesn't like you. And we just want people to like us because we're, that's the way we are. And we just don't like people not to like us, but the bottom line is you've got to get over that Because if you're going to stand for God, you're going to make a lot of people angry with what you say, and you're going to make a lot of people mad with what you do, and you just believe the Bible is the Word of God, and you're going to have your share of enemies. But anger clouds the mind. Because in anger, normally, when it's not perfect anger, you know what we do? We vent our own personal concepts. He said you're wiser than your enemy." There isn't anything that really makes me mad. I mean, I don't like sin. I hate sin. I get mad at some of the things that, that this world does. I'm talking on a personal level. I don't, other than my family and my kids, I don't know what you could do that would really tick me off. I don't know what you could do to me that 15 minutes week later, you could say, I'm sorry, and I'd say, it's fine. We'd go out and have lunch together, and I'd never think about it, and i bring it up again. You know why? Because I understand the issues in life, and I understand that I don't take it personal. And I also believe this. I believe that when you have the book, you don't have to, You can pick what you get angry about. I only have so much energy to expend. I'm a human being like you. I only have so many tears that can flow. I can only have so many emotions to give out. I can have only have so much anger to give here. I can only have, So you have to pick and choose where your battles are going to be. And a man who has no Bible in his life, who has no discipline in his life, he gets angry over everything or stupid things, you're wiser than he is, and you see his frailty and infallibility in those those temper tantrums that he throws. I'm going to give you a great verse. Psalm 119. You don't have to look it up, just write it down. But you want this one. Psalm 119, verse 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I don't get offended. I've had people come up. I do this all the time. I have people come up to me, and they say, Brother Bob, uh, I just want you to know that uh, I need to talk to you here and confess something to you because uh, uh, you, you offended me by some things that you said today. I say, fine. Hold on a minute the bible says when you love the word of god nothing shall offend you go ahead you see see how the bible betrays your our real feelings you See how? it's no wonder the bible says all things are naked and open unto him that word of god strips us right down and shows us our very motive i don't get offended by anything in life you know why I'm secure in the book. I got the book. I I don't care. How many say, you know what the Democrats are doing? I don't care. You know what the Republicans are doing? I could care less. It ain't going to be that. It ain't going to be one or the other. They're just playing around like little ants down here having a great time. One day the one who owns the ant farm is going to come and stomp it all out. I don't care. Are Are you a Republican or a Democrat? I'm neither. I'm a Christian. I don't take any political side. Well, this one over here, this one over here, the Democrats, they're liberal. They want all this liberal stuff. And these over here, hey, i got news for you. They're both crooked. You can't tell me that you can be a politician in the world today and be straight. Everybody right now, well, brother in the Bush, you know, it's election year now. Now he's signing, letting all the Mexicans in, you know, and he's signing a bill to go to Mars, you know, and he's doing all these things because because he, he's got a heat secret agenda. Well, sure he does. He's a politician. Why, well, when you graduate from politician school, the first thing they give you on your way out is a secret agenda. Come on. What do you think he is? I'm not saying he's a bad guy or a good guy. I'm saying he's a politician. And politicians always have a secret, a hidden agenda that's built around what they want to do. And they may think it's best for the country. I I don't know. I don't care. They can think all they want what's best for the country. I know what's best for this country. Why? Because I'm wiser than my enemies. I'm not better. I'm not better than anybody else in the world. I'm just wiser. And I'm not wiser because I'm smarter. I'm wiser because I'm stupider. Is that a word? Stupider? You know what I'm saying. I'm wiser because I'm dumber. I'm dumb enough just to believe that God could write a book and preserve it that would give me everything in life to get me through life. So he says, he says, wiser than your enemies. And you'll be smarter because you'll be able to pick and choose and not expend energy on stuff that doesn't matter. You'll see through the smoke and the glass and see what the real issue is. And you'll come away saying, you know what? I don't care if they took my job. I don't care if they took this. I don't care if they took that. They can't take this. you got this. you got everything. You only think you got everything else when you got everything else. Then he says have more understanding than all my teachers. You betcha. I went to school, to the sixth grade, man. I know history, science, evolution, politics, all those, religion. I've been through it all. I've read it all. And I I understand it all. And the bottom line is, you know what? I believe what the book of Proverbs says, that all that stuff without God and Israel is just the fields of the fatherless. Just wandering through the times and all that's going on, I mean, I, I know exactly where I'm at. I know exactly where God's at. I know exactly where America's at. I know exactly what's going on and where it's going on. Turn to Isaiah chapter 5. I'll show you another one. Boy, this is a good one. Here's where we are. Now, this is what the Bible does. The Bible gives you more understanding than all your teachers, wiser than your enemies, And this is how he does it. Look at Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Look at that. Now where is that at today? That's America. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. And put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto him that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. That's America. That's America's educational system. That's America's science system. That's America's uh, religious system. That's America's political system. It's all built around that we're going to live down here for a million years and we're going to govern our own destiny. And you know what? God just really doesn't have anything to say about it. Well, what do I have news for you? I've got a shocking revelation. Let me tell you something. That Bible says that you have more, uh, you have more on, un- you have you are wiser uh, than your enemies. You have more understanding than all your teachers. And then he says, "I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts." How receiving his word, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh in also you that believe. We were in the book of Psalms, book of Proverbs. The other night we were in the book of Job, book of Song of Solomon you know what they're called typically the wisdom books they're called the wisdom books because they they display the wisdom that is taught throughout the rest of the Word of God when Aristotle's and Socrates and Plato and all the great minds and your college professor and your high school teacher when they get up there and they laid out their garbage about the world and all the things that went on and they're view of history, that's all that it was. It was a Gentile perspective that when you know the Bible and you have the wisdom of the Word of God and you know the Bible because it is the truth of God, you can figure all those things out. The wisdom books. Somebody says, what about the book of Psalms? Book of Psalms, that's the heart of God. You want to get the heart of God? Get in the book of Psalms. Somebody says... Well, what about the sufferings of God? You want to learn about the sufferings of God? Go to the book of Job. Somebody said, I want to get the mind of God. Mind of God, book of Proverbs. Not me, I want to find out the mind of the Spirit. Book of Ecclesiastes. Not me, I want to find out the mind of Christ. Song of Solomon. You got it. One's got the heart of God, which shows you the sufferings of God. One shows you the mind of God. One shows you the mind of the Spirit. That one shows you the mind of Christ. Oh, you'll not beat the Word of God. When I stand up here and tell you, I'm not just, I'm not just saying it. When I said, when I said that in 1 Thessalonians where it says, where when you receive the Word of God, you received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth the Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you believe. I mean receive it. I don't mean just put it on your coffee table and say, yeah, I got one. I mean it's your attitude of at heart that it's your book. You love it. You see the perspective of how down through history it all tried to get destroyed. The devil hated anybody, everybody hated that book, wanted to take it from you, couldn't do it. Now he has. You want a history lesson, real quick? I give it to you in 30 seconds. Say five things you know about history and the Bible, you got it all. Yeah. Buy things. See, I gotta break things down. <clears throat> I mean, I, 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 I I'm just. I'm, things are too complicated to me. I gotta get them down where I say, okay, this is how I'm gonna remember it. One, two, three, four, five. That's it. I'll put this whole thing in a nutshell. We go home and eat lunch early. Yeah, Psalms is the heart of God. Job's the suffering of God. Proverbs is the mind of God. Ecclesiastes is the mind of the despair. Song of Solomon. Yeah, right down the line. But when you look down and you see the history of the Bible and the history of the church and history of man and you see where you're at and you realize Psalms 119 says that God's going to make you wiser than your enemies, smarter than your teachers, more than the ancients. You're going to get all the superior intellect to understand and see exactly where you're at, looking back, standing here and looking forward. Come to that Bible. It's simple. Five things. Come to this book. One, number one, this book, don't write this down. It ain't worth writing down. If You can't remember when I say it. It's so easy, you don't need to write it down. This book, see this book? Receive it, receive it. Put it in perspective, Bob. Tell me all about it. Give me a history lesson to help me get this thing all the way down so I can just remember four or five things and I got it. Okay, here we go. Number one, this book, God thought it. It's the mind of Christ. It was in his mind. This book, God thought it. This book, number two, Christ bought it. He paid the price for me to have it. God thought it. Christ bought it. This book, Holy Spirit of God, brought it. So when He received the Word of God, He received it not as the Word of man, but as it is in truth, the Word of God. God fought it. Jesus bought it. The Holy Spirit brought it. Number four, the devil fought it. He tried to stop it at every turn to take that book out of your hand. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. God fought it. Christ bought it. Holy Spirit brought it. Devil fought it. Bless God. Here comes number five. I got it. I got it. Oh, God fought it. Jesus bought it. Holy Spirit brought it. Devil fought it. But glory to God, I got it. You receive it as it is in truth. The Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Oh, I'm telling you, my friend. Oh, the wisest man that ever lived. The wisest man that ever lived said, My son. He said, My son. He said, My son, thou shalt receive My Word. Receive my, if thou wilt receive my words. That is the first step. Without that, you're going to go through life blaming your problems on everybody and the farther you get out, the worse you're going to be. I've told you this illustration before, but it is so true what of what happens to man, this country, and individuals when they don't have the Bible. Years ago, I used to help out it up. I I, I used to belong to a gun club, and they they had a a, a sight-in day every deer season. And I went out there. They needed to have some help. And what it was, they put an ad in the paper. Anybody that bought a rifle, and you got a scope on it, and you don't know how it's not zeroed in, you don't have a place to go, Saturday and Sunday, 9 to 12, show up. We'll give you a coach. We'll help you get it sighted in so your rifle will be on. We don't want anybody getting hurt. Good. Well, I show up, and they give me this guy. Nice guy. He should not be hunting. Nice guy. And he and I could tell his gun was still in the box. Walmart tag still taped on it. I remember today it was a Marlin uh, three thirty six lever action thirty thirty or something like that. You know, nice wipe, nice weapon, nice gun. It still had the Cosmian on it. So I said, well, let's do first things first. So I we wiped it all off. You know, and it had the scope on it and all this stuff. You know. So I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I said... Don't load it yet cuz I got to go down. here. <laughs> in fact, would you sit in a car till I come back, you know. I didn't I not know this guy. So, I go down there and I 25 yards, you know. I mean, i am going to do it the way we did in the military, you know. You put a target 25 meters, you know, and then you you know, you know the 30 30 is going to either go up or go down, so you drop it either low and get that so I I was figure out. Oh, I'll get him on a piece of paper and then, you know, we'll adjust him up from there. So, I went back, put the target down 25 meters. And I said, "Okay, now now hold very steadily. Right on that. Take a deep breath." You no, know, t- taught him all the things. you know. Cock the thing back, you know. Put the bullet in, <laughs> and you know, and and he squeezed that thing off, and bam, man, that thing went off. And you know, I, I looked through a pair of binoculars down there, and and uh, I gave them to him, and I said, well, I said, I said, you're you see right there, you just the, the paper target was about this big, and the bullseye was in the middle, and his, his his round went right over here on the edge of the paper, at 25 meters, and I said, okay, I said, well, we know what we got to work with, and I said here here, here and I looked around, and he's he's got his rifle, he's headed back to the car. I said, "Hey, I said Annie, where are you going, Annie Oakley?" I said, "Where are you going?" He said, "Well, he says I'm I'm going hunting next next tomorrow." He says, "I I'm ready to go." He says, "That's close enough to get me a deer." I said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" I said, "Come here." So let me tell you a little little thing here. Twenty-five yards of that target. Your gun is shooting twelve inches off at twenty-five yards. At a hundred yards it's going to be probably two feet off. At 300 yards, it's going to be over here. And if you take a 500 shot, you're going to shoot yourself. (laughs) I said, you ain't ready to go anywhere. I said, sit down. (laughs) But he thought, you know what? Point being, God showed me this many, many years later. If you're off on your Bible, close range, What makes you think you're going to be on at 100 yards? In fact, the farther you go, the farther you get off. You have to have a point in your life where you start and you put that round right through the center of the bullseye. And in the 200 yards, you're right on. 300 yards, you're right on. 400 yards, you're right on. You have to get it zeroed in at the target. And I'm telling you, you have to start with that book that book is the book that you start with and when you receive it as it is in truth the word of God and the wisest man that ever lived said my son if thou wilt receive my words it's been defined for you now you understand it you can add this to what we talked about last week and you understand what it means now to receive it you take it as it is it's your book just as I would receive you into my home your mind is yours when God gave you that book and you receive it it's yours And you've got to get it on the money when you start. That's why we're taking the time. That's why right now we've got to take the time to get you on target when we're here. So five, six, seven, eight years down the line, when you're way out there by yourself someplace, you're still on target. Otherwise, the farther you go, the farther you're off. And that's why it's so important to learn the Word of God. That's why I told you, these verses are absolutely loaded. Absolutely loaded. Next week I'm going to take it. and I'm going to show you from the Old Testament. When we get into the next part. I'm going to show you how you can go back to the Old Testament and you can find every kind of Christian you ever wanted to meet or did meet and come down to this bottom line of what it really means to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul. It's the most unbelievable thing you have ever seen in your life. When we get to Proverbs t- next verse, or next half of this verse, we'll look at that next week and I'll show you. You now, now know what it means to receive the Word of God. Next week, I'm going to show you how to hide it into your heart. We've talked about it. I'm going to show you what it means, how to do it, how do you apply it, and what you're looking for when you want to do it. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you so much for all that you do for us. And we ask you, Lord, today to take the words of God that we've talked about and help us to be on target. Help us, Father, in everything that we do just to be rock solid with you. Help us, Father, to put our crosshairs right on the cross. And, Lord, never move from that realizing that this book that you give us is the word of god and let us receive it as it is in truth the word of god help us father in everything that we do to put the word of god first help us never to do anything in this church that isn't based on your book help us not do anything in our lives that isn't based on your word i will thank you and praise you for all that you do in jesus name in the sake we ask it amen